Good afternoon. Good morning. Hello, everybody. We're glad you're here this morning. Amen. We want to special, especially welcome all of you that are watching us online. We've got people from all over the world. We've got them from Nigeria, from Hong Kong, from Aruba, everywhere. Let's welcome all of our online viewers. We're just so glad you're with us this morning. As, as, as we just heard, we're going to talk about sex, and I get the privilege uh, to talk about this. Uh, Pastor Johnson is not here today. He is graduating from Wheaton College with his master's degree this weekend in Chicago, so he and Summer are up there, and so when you see them next week, make sure you congratulate them, because he's been on a three-year journey uh, while pastoring this church in transition during COVID, so that's been quite an extension of, his, of everything he has to do it, so it's quite an accomplishment, so I'm really proud of him. So this series has been kind of tracking along, and, and next week, of course, is Mother's Day, and so we're not going to go deep into you know, all these things on Mother's Day, so I thought, okay, well, we got one, one last real message that we can kind of really get down into it, and I get the privilege of doing that, so I'm going to need a little grace with, from you today, because when you talk about sex, especially from a biblical perspective, a biblical platform, we all, you, have, you understand in modern day, there's a lot of people that would call themselves followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, but when it comes to their sexual life, that's a sort of a compartmentalized belief system that doesn't agree necessarily with what the Bible says. And, uh, and so what's happened in churches across America is there's been somewhat of a bending in some of those churches to acquiesce to what's going on in culture today, to agree with all the new belief systems and sexual lifestyles. And I just want you to understand, and please don't get offended, but you're not in one of those churches. You're not in one of those churches. This church, we made a decision over 33 years ago that as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord, we're gonna believe the Bible. The Bible is still true today as much as it was 2,000 years ago. Just that's a little spattering of applause. I, I really, I, I, God, your word is true, and I'm holding fast to it. Now, here's the challenge the challenge with the word today is it doesn't always agree with what's going on around us. There's a lot of peer pressure, there's a lot of emotion that's wrapped up in sexuality today. It's a very hot topic, it's being discussed on a daily basis in public schools, in the political arena, everywhere you go. And it's become a big, big issue within our youth culture today because there's so now, there's so much confusion over sex and sexuality and identity and all those kinds of things. And the reason that is, is because along the way, along the journey, we've gotten into a place where now we're questioning, has God really said? Now, now, here's what happened. Let me give you a little framework before we get into some of the stats of what we're currently dealing with. In the book, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, at the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve were created and on the earth, we see the story unfold as Satan comes in the form of a serpent to tempt them, and the temptation is about a tree in the garden called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God never created mankind to have all knowledge of everything because he knew you couldn't handle it. You're not prepared mature enough to handle all the things that are out there to know. And so Satan comes and he says, has God really said you should not eat of this tree? And he says, because he knows if you eat of this tree, then your eyes will be open and you will be like God. We are now living in a time where we have a new tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and this is the tree. This is the tree. And what happens is, what goes on inside of that, if you really understood the knowledge and the information that you can gather at your fingertips at any given moment, in any given second, many things that are going on inside of there are not good for you. Did you hear what I just said? That there's good in there, 
and there's bad in there. But most people are not mature enough to handle this, and unfortunately, many of us that are parents of teenagers hand these over to kids that are of 10 years old, 9 years old, 11 years old, and hope that they can navigate this. And now it's opened the door to all kinds of confusion and sexual uh, misinterpretation and identity issues to the point where now most people, as they become Christians, now have to fight through this idea that my feelings are not God. Many people make, try to make God agree with their feelings instead of submitting their feelings to what God's word says. Are you all right, all right out there? So there's a potential in this, in this message, I always have this potential, but there's especially in this message, that you could get offended. That you could get offended because many of us that are young have been trained, I, I clue myself in there, I'm not really young, but just for the moment, have been trained to live by our feelings, to live by how we feel about things. And you all know that as soon as you buy into living by your feelings, then your feelings become God. And what happens sexually, if you're not careful, is it becomes such a strong draw in your heart that you become, you become worshipers of a sex God instead of a true God. Y'all all right out there? Now listen to these statistics. These statistics are kind of, these are a little bit old. They're not actually current statistics because I couldn't find something that was right up to date, but they're, they're not that old. And, and in, in these statistics, it gives us a little bit of a picture of what's going on with sex, and especially with young people. One out of five children have sex by the age of 12 in America. Average age of viewing pornography for the first time is now 11 years old, and it's getting younger. 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. Now, just think about that for a moment. Some of you have teenagers, and you say, well, my teenager doesn't see that. My teenager's never seen that. Really? How do you even remember when you were a teenager? How many of you remember there's a lot of things your parents did not know about you, and you didn't even have a cell phone? You remember that? All right. The National Center for Victims of Crime Report says, over the course of a lifetime, 28% of youth in America between the ages of 14 and 17 report being sexually victimized. One in four girls and one in 20 boys are victims of sexual abuse. Porn stats, according to Mission Frontier, says around four, there are around 42 million porn sites in America. A quarter of the websites in America are porn sites. There's more money spent on porn than all of the sports arena put together. Everything put together. Porn is a big industry. 47% of families in the United States report that pornography is a problem in their home. And I would suspect that the other 53% just don't know that it's a problem in their home. <laughs> pornography uses, use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. So if there's a porn issue in a marriage, it's, there's a high likelihood that something's infidelity is going to take place. 82% of all men between the age, 82, between the age of 16 to 75 are fighting strong sexual temptation on a regular basis. And 68% of Christian men have watched pornography within the last year. Now, don't, don't do this number right now. What about you? Because there's a good chance that, that in this room, there are people that are hooked on pornography. There's a good chance in this room, there are people that are not being loyal to and faithful to their marriages. There's a pretty good chance that there are people in here in this room that are letting their kids watch things online that they shouldn't be watching and don't understand what the destruction is taking place inside their child's mind. There's a pretty good chance that in this room and online with us, are people this weekend that are addicted to sex, that have sexual addictions, and they're trying to fight it, but they're not succeeding in fighting it, and as a result, it's controlling their thoughts, it's controlling their lives. Now, you, you just keep going. This, this, is a, this is a quote from the book Sex and Culture. 
It says, sexual, this is Dr. J.D. Unwin, he says, sexual fidelity was the single most important factor of a society's ascendancy. In human records over the last 5,000 years, there's no instance of a society retaining its energy after a complete new generation has inherited a tradition which does not insist on prenuptial and postnuptial continence. In other words, not having sex before marriage. After a nation becomes prosperous, it becomes increasingly liberal with regard to sexual morality, and as a result, loses its cohesion, its impetus, its purpose. The process, says the author, is irreversible. Guys, we're living in that time right now. We're living in a, in a sexually saturated society. Every single day we wake up, it just continues to get worse. To the point where now we're educating children all the way down to kindergarten about whether they are a boy in a girl's body or a girl in a boy's body. We're, we're expecting children to understand their sexuality way before their brains have been developed. They say the average brain, it takes until 25 years, your brain is not mature and, average and able to process the information that you understand clearly and maturely until you're 25 years of age. For some, it's 45 years of age. <laughs> but yet we, we hand our children these devices when they're nine, 10, 11 years old with no guards at all on them and expect them to be able to maturely handle all the information that is coming across on TikTok, on Instagram, on Snapchat, not realizing that this is not just about social connections, but it is a trap that entraps and enslaves many of us even before we reach puberty. And this is why there's so much confusion over sexuality. This is why we're seeing people monetize the sexualization of children, creating websites just for young people, just for teenagers, and, and watching them get addicted before they're ever mature enough to really handle life, and it completely derails them and destroys their life. This is why teenage suicide is at an all-time high. Teenage depression is at an all-time high. More teenagers are doing medication for their depression than any time in history of mankind. More teenagers are having sex with each other. More teenagers are confused about their sexuality. It's not uncommon that every day there's some kids in, their, in, in, in a particular region or school that are announcing to their school or announcing to their parents that they want a sex change, that they want something. There's something that's not right about them. They're struggling within themselves. And parents that are Christians don't know what to do. Well, today you're going to learn what to do. And let me just say this. Let me just say this. You cannot discipline out of your children what's going on in you. If it's going on in you, there is no hope for your children to get straight. In other words, it passes down. Now, the big question is how do we deal with this? Well, let me give you a little, my, my testimony, just kind of give you, so, so that you understand, and I'm not coming to you from this high position of superiority, and I've got my life together, and everything's perfect, and I've never had any problems in these areas. I was completely addicted to sex when I was a young person. I was born... My mother and father started dating when they were 19 years of age, and in their second date, my father forcefully had sex with my mother on a date and got her pregnant, and out of that pregnancy, nine months later, I came into being. And in the midst of that, back in those days, there was no such thing as abortion, and you had to get married if you were pregnant back in the, in the 50s. I, 50, I was born in 1957. And as a result of that, my mother and father got married, but were really not married. They didn't really love each other. They stayed married for four years, and then they divorced. My father was completely bound by sexual uh, fantasies and sexual lifestyles. He was, he was married three times, never faithful to any wife, always had three or four girlfriends on the side. His father was not faithful to, to, to my grandmother. His father was not faithful to his, his wife. And I was born with a, almost a spiritual genetic disposition to be unfaithful and not, and not healthy in my sexual genetics. How many of you know there are such a thing as just like you have physical genetics, you have spiritual genetics. And some of you know what I'm talking about. 
It's called familiar spirits that pass down from one generation to the next generation. And if you don't know how to break those spirits, they will continue to dominate your family line forever. And when you get saved, when you become a Christian, you have to break those spiritual genetics. You have to break the curses that have been following your family lineage. And it is not easy when you're the first one out of the, out of the chute when you start to come to Christ. You have to go through some spiritual warfare, amen? And you have to learn the difference between lust and love. You have to learn the difference. Well, I got radically saved at the age of 21. And when I got saved, something started happening inside of me that I couldn't explain physically or spiritually. Now, I'm about to share something with you that's a little bit out there. Y'all all right? I'm gonna share with you some things that are spiritually happened to me, and I, 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 I wish they didn't happen to me, but they did, and I had, I had this experience, so therefore you cannot talk me out of it. It happened to me, and I went through it, and it's real, and it's tangible, and it's what happens to people, they just don't know it's happening. I got bound by a demon spirit. Y'all all right out there? By the way, when you read the Bible, you'll see there are demons in the Bible. And Jesus was casting them out quite frequently. And, and, and those demons did not leave the earth when Jesus left. They stayed here. Have you noticed that? And it seems like the intensity has picked up lately. It seems like the spiritual strongholds have gotten stronger and it seems like there's more intensity. And the reason that is, is because the demons in the earth are the same demons that were back there in the days of Jesus and before Jesus. And those same demons know, as the, as the Bible said 2,000 years ago, when they encountered Jesus, we know we have but a short time. They know their days are numbered. Satan knows his days are numbered. So as we draw closer to the return of Jesus, the intensity of demonic warfare increases in society. And what happens is if the church doesn't know that and it's ignorant to that and it plays religion instead of relationship with Jesus and it just goes through these religious motions, it gets bound by those demons and it controls the church. The church is just as full of the devil as people outside of the church. They just know how to play the game and hiding it. Y'all all right out there? So I had a demon. I got saved. And the first thing I realized is if I'm going to get free and I'm going to totally get free, I'm going to have to do some radical things, make some radical changes. Well, the first thing I started doing, which was radical for me, and it might be radical for you, is I started reading the Bible. And I started finding that the Bible has a lot to say about sex. So I'm going to read a couple verses here, and this is going to, it's going to mess with you if you're messing with sex the wrong way, but let's just read them anyway, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is Paul writing, verse 16 says, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much a spiritual mystery as a physical fact. So it's not just physical, it's spiritual. As written in scriptures, the two become one. When you have sex with someone, you become one with them. And the Bible says if it's outside of marriage, you are joining yourself to the spirit of a harlot. Harlot is another nice word for a hoe. And you are dressing that. You're, you're, and men can be hoes, women can be hoes. In other words, I'm having sex and it's, I'm not married to somebody. That's funny, but it's true. And, and he says, when you join yourself to that, you become sexually dysfunctional. It's confusing to you. And you're now joining yourself to somebody that God, he's not joining you with love, he's joining you with lust. And that lust will burn within you. Then he says, <clears throat> uh, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy. And by the way, the word commitment and intimacy, he's referring to marriage. Two becoming one in marriage, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. This is interesting. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit, the place where God lives? He lives inside you. Don't you see that you can't live 
however you feel or please. Squandering what God paid such a high price for. The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. Yeah, we should applaud the word. It's, it is the word. <laughs> then he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, God's will is for you to be set apart for him in holiness. In other words, you're not supposed to be like everybody else in the world. You are a fish swimming upstream. You're swimming against the trends, against the tide. You're not going with the trends. You're going against the trends. And when you go against the trends, you get bullied, you get made fun of, you get mocked, you get persecuted because you don't fit in to what everybody thinks you should do. You get called a hypocrite, you get called a bigot, you get called all kinds of names when you start walking the truth of God's word. And you just have to make a decision. Are you gonna follow God or are you just gonna follow what the world says? And then he says, you keep yourself unpolluted from sexual defilement. Yes, each of you must guard your sexual purity with holiness and dignity, not yielding to lustful passions like those who don't know God. People that don't know God don't know how to guard themselves, but if you know God, you've got to guard yourself. Never take selfish advantage of a brother or a sister in this matter, for we've already told you and solemnly warned you that the Lord is the avenger in all these things. For God's call on our lives is not a life of compromise and perversion, but to a life surrounded in holiness. Therefore, whoever rejects this instruction isn't rejecting human authority, but God himself who gives us his precious gift, his spirit of holiness. Now, I, I started thinking about this. I, before I was saved, I was very liberal sexually with many partners before I got saved. And then I got saved. My, my opinion about sex at that time was just do what you wanna do. Feel, if you feel like it, do it. I don't care if same-sex attraction, that doesn't bother me. Uh, uh, sex outside of marriage, that doesn't bother me. Blah, blah, blah. And then I get saved and I realized that part of the consecration and the dedication I'm making to the Lord is also includes my body. In fact, my body is the expression of worship before God. What I do with my body tells me who I worship. Y'all all right out there? It tells me who I worship. Every day you get up in the morning, you can worship God with your body or you can worship your body. You can worship your body. And what happens when you start to worship your body, it becomes your God. What, what pleases your body. And once you make your body your God, and that includes your feelings, they will take you all over the place sexually. When people say, well, I can't understand why Paul's talked about same-sex attraction as being wrong. How can it be wrong when I feel this way, when I feel God created me this way? Let me tell you, when you were born, you were born with a sin nature. Everybody had sin natures. You had sin natures. Now, let me just ask you the question. Is your sin nature who you really God created you to be? No, he didn't create you to be controlled by sin. Now, some might have sin natures that are attracted to the opposite sex. Some might have sin natures that are attracted to the same sex. It's still sin nature. One is not worse than the other. They're all sin natures. That's why Jesus said, if you want to understand the kingdom, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. Old things Pass away, behold, all things become new. If you keep living in how you feel in the past, then you're not embracing the newness of who you are in Christ. Are you following me? So when you say, I'm born this way, I can say easily, I'm born with lust. I'm born with sexual desire, and I had to die to those desires. I had to die. Well, I just don't think God would create me have to die. You have to die to live. You can't live with God until you die to yourself. Did you hear what I just said? What is the difference between somebody who says I'm same-sex attracted and somebody says I'm attracted to little children? Immediately we say, we, we recoil, oh, that's, that's, that's just awful. Well, do you know about 30 years ago, we said the same thing about same-sex attraction. 
but suddenly that's just slowly like a frog boiling in water. We've gotten to this acclimation that everything's okay with that, but then children, no, there's, nothing, there's something wrong with that. What makes that wrong? Well, what makes it wrong is obviously what makes all sexual perversion wrong. Amen. And you don't learn what's wrong until you actually read what's in the Bible. If we depend on what's wrong outside of the Bible, then we'll just be bending to our feelings and we'll change the laws to line up with our feelings instead of lining up with God's word. And when people change the laws of the land to line up with their feelings and they move away from God, we're in the last stages of decay in a society. Are y'all all right out there? All right, so I'm reading the Bible. I start seeing these things. And I'm laying in my bed, and I'm really dedicating myself to the Lord, and I have a dream. And in this dream, dream, it's a sexual dream. Anybody in here ever had a sexual dream? All right, if you ever had a sexual dream. And, and by the way, that did not come from God. And, and, and this sexual dream came, and in this dream, this is, I'm having a, a relations with somebody that I actually knew, and they turn into a demon, the spirit face begins, becomes a demon face, and they start to physically choke me in this dream. I'm in a dream, and I'm trying to say the name of Jesus, and I can't say it. I don't know if you've ever been there in a dream, but I'm trying to say the name of Jesus. I can't say it, and, and suddenly I wake up. I wake up out of this dream. Now I'm physically awake, sitting up in my bed, looking at the clock. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm covered in sweat, and I realize what I'm sharing with you is a little bit out there. It's a little free. None of you have ever had these experiences, but I have. And so I'm telling you, I'm not speaking as you know, a theologian. I'm just speaking as somebody who had an experience like this. And I'm, I'm physically being choked, and I'm awake. There is a spirit choking me from within. I get the name of Jesus out. And how many of you know the name of Jesus has authority? It has authority. Yes, it does. This, whatever this thing was, which was a spirit, basically a spirit of lust, it just came out of me. It had been living in me for 21 years, genetically from my family down through, this, through these times. And I realized it's out of me, and now I recognize I got to do something. Now that I'm free, I got to stay free. Because when I started reading the Bible, I found out that when the devil comes out of people, he roams about seeking rest and can't find it, he'll try to come back in. And you'll be, if you're caught off guard and you're not filling yourself up with God and you're not staying on guard against that, he'll get right back in there and you'll be seven times worse than you were before. And this may be the case of some people. This is why people do crazy things. And it's not all demon possession. Some of it's just flat out, you know, I'm just not controlling my flesh. But there is a spirit behind it. And it comes in like a flood, and this is why you have to raise up a standard against it. Amen. Amen. So I get free. I start reading the word. I start praying. And, and, I'm, and by the way, the reason the de devil had to get out is because I gave him no place. I wasn't feeding myself on pornography anymore. I wasn't having, I broke up with all my girlfriends. I was, I was living pure. And the devil, when, he, when you start living pure, he can't feel comfortable inside of you. He, he's agitated. He gets agitated and eventually he'll have to come out whether somebody casts him out or you just get rid of him. Then I prayed for a wife and God gave me Colleen. I believe this with all my heart. I believe this, with, listen to me single people. I believe this with all my heart that the reason I got such an amazing wife a godly wife, we just celebrated last weekend 40 years of marriage, 40 years. And the reason why God gave me that wife like that was because I made a dedication that I was gonna live sexually pure until I got married from that point on. And, and, and I, I, re I really believe that a lot of young people today are hindered in meeting the right person because they haven't got that part of their life down. They're still messing around. They're still doing things and hoping and praying that God will send them somebody to help them break free from that. Let me tell you who breaks you free from that. His name is Jesus. If you get married to Jesus, then you'll have somebody that God will put for you in the right place for you to get married to in this life. Amen. So we met, and as soon as we got into a dating relationship, we realized even though we were free and we were living for Jesus, we still had old habits, old thoughts, 
that try to come back in. So we had to get radical if we're going to have a good uh, union because we knew we couldn't start having sex and then just get married. Listen to me, all of you that are having sex and you're not married, but you're going to get married someday. Well, we're going to get married. It's okay. No, it's not. If you don't get control of that lust, you'll carry it right into your marriage. And once you carry it into your marriage, it'll defile your sexual bed. It'll cause pornography to become a part of your life. It'll cause sexual fantasies. It'll cause you to get online and meet another partner, infidelity, all those kinds of things. The reason they're so rampant is because most people don't purify their hearts before they get married, and then they bring that thing right into their wedding. Y'all all right out there? You sure you're all right? I tell you, we're just going to get down to it today. We're just going to talk about it because this is the reality of sex. All right, so as we started going through this, we're reading the Bible. Jesus gave us a scripture, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? That's what we're in till the rest of this year, probably. And look at what it says in the book of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus is just clanging along. He's talking about all these different things. And then out of nowhere, he makes this a radical statement in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard that it was said you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery within his heart. So he says, if you look at somebody of the opposite sex lustfully, you're committing adultery, which probably means that all of us in this room have committed adultery. Y'all all right out there? You sure you're all right? That's pretty strong. That's, oh, I've never committed adultery. If you look at somebody with lust, that's adultery. That's what Jesus said. And then he says, all right, if your right eye, this is the radical thing, causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. I started meditating on that one day, and the Lord started speaking to me. He said, there's three things you need to understand about that scripture. First of all, sexual sin can defile your heart and completely control your life. Now, here's, you, you need to understand the science of sexual sin. We're going to talk about that tonight with the parents. This is, there's a science to it. But here's what happens. When you have sex, whether it's through pornography, fantasy sex, or actually with somebody, it releases a chemical in your brain called dopamine. Dopamine is the pleasure chemical, the pleasure hormone that brings you pleasure. This is why you enjoy it. And what happens is this, this thing becomes a part of your brain. It creates a brain wave, a brain circuitry that wants more. You want more. This is how people get addicted to anything when they start to get addicted to this dopamine feel. And the, the, if anything, you know anything about drugs or anything like that, you know that the first high is always hard to achieve the second time. So you're going after it, only you have to go after it stronger. And the more you go after it, you're trying to get rewarded. What happens is the, the brain forms a block between your reward center and your judgment center, and it blocks you from being able to say no, and it controls you. The dopamine control, the, 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 the high of dopamine controls you just like a drug would control you, or alcohol would control you, or nicotine would control you, or the high you get on gambling would control you, or overeating controls you. You understand, it's addiction. And then what happens is stronghold builds around your mind that seals God out and seals the sin in. That's why the Bible says the weapons of your warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought of disobedience into the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ, casting down all wicked imaginations. So once that stronghold gets built, then you're going to have to go after some things radically. If you want to break strongholds, you've got to be radical. And, and this is the problem in Christianity. We don't have many radical Christians. Did you hear what I just said? We have mostly lukewarm, half-hearted, nominal Christians that go to church when they feel like it, watch it online if they feel like it, and then dabble in all kinds of other things and call themselves Christians. They follow Christ until he tells them not to do something. They follow Christ as long as it agrees with their feelings. 
They follow Christ as long as it agrees with how they think about sex. But as soon as it comes in conflict with that, they don't agree with Jesus. Well, the word is not the same today. We can't put our trust in the word. We don't know if the word's still applicable today. The Bible says God, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So it can addict you. Secondly, and this is the big one, sexual sin can take you to hell. When people that are bound by sex make these statements, why do Christians make such a big deal about same-sex attraction or sex outside of marriage? Why do they think that they should get involved in our sexual lives? Now, let me just say this. First of all, I'm not really getting involved personally in most people's sexual lives, but what happens is when you start to become a Christian, one of the things that burns in your heart is getting people saved from going to hell. You know that if people live lives bound by sin, eventually they'll get to a point where they don't believe in God, they don't believe in Jesus, and if they die in those states, they will not go to heaven. There is a real, tangible hell. Don't believe what people tell you that hell's nothing, it's no big deal, people are partying in hell, or when you die, you just, just annihilate it, there's no more price to pay. The Bible talks about it over and over and over. Prepare for the devil and his angels. It says where the fire never goes out, where the, where the worm never stops, where, where, where it's constant torment for eternity. And you and I know that if you have a child that's about to step out in front of a car, you don't say, well, you just, if you feel like it, then I don't want to judge you. Just go right on out there and get killed. You want to save people. I'm not trying to change you. I'm trying to get you saved, trying to help you understand that life like that will create trouble in your life. When you start having sexual problems like this and and you go into that life, any lifestyle that's not proper, what ends up happening is you become depressed you become lonely. You don't have good relationships. So they say that the person, when you start, when you enter into same-sex attraction, your lifespan is, is shortened on, on average 20 years. 20 years you die earlier because of all the domestic abuse, the depression, the suicide, and all these other things that go along with it. People say, it's because you put so much pressure on us. You make us depressed. No, what does it is the demonic spirits that get involved with that, trying to take you out. The devil hates you. He hates you, and he'll do anything he can to take you out. And and, and that's the reason why Christians are trying to help people avoid hell. The third thing that happens is to to break the power of sexual sin, you have to get radical. Everybody say radical. Some of you are not radical enough. You're just not radical enough. And I wasn't radical enough until I saw this in the scriptures. He says, Pluck out your eye, cut off your hand. Now, that's a hyperbole. He's not specifically telling now, if you really have a problem, go cut your physical eye out and cut off your physical hand. He's saying, you gotta get radical. He says, you gotta put things out of your reach and out of your sight. You gotta put things out of your reach and out of your sight. And you're gonna have all kinds of people saying, you're just trying to protect your children from all these things, low in the world, you're just overprotecting them, you're shielding them, you better believe it. You better believe it. I wanna shield my children from sexual sin, don't you? I want them to live pure, I want them to live holy. I raised my daughter to, to live a pure life, and I talked to her all the way through, and especially when she was in middle school, because in middle school is when you start going through puberty and you start having all these feelings, and so what most parents do is they back off and hand them a cell phone. I, I went in and took away any kind of access to the internet at that point, and I said, here's, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have conversations. We're gonna talk about stuff, and we're gonna talk about boys. And we're going to talk about girls. And we're going to talk about your life and your relationships. And she said, well, Dad, I'm not really attracted to boys. I said, well, don't worry. You will be. (laughs) And when you are, there's going to be all kinds of stuff going on. And this is the thing. I want you to understand. God wants you to stay pure in your heart and in your mind, which means that you're not going to get to do what everybody else gets to do. And you're going to have to live a life that's that's going to be radical. Well, my daughter didn't get married till she was 28 years old. She had four different boyfriends through those 28 years. 
She never had sex. She married as a virgin, and the man she married was a virgin. He, he was 28 as well. I saw some parents' heads go down. That ain't happening here. It just really depends on how radical you get. No, you can't control your children. They have to make up their own minds about God. They have to, but they need to see a parent that's radical. They don't need to see a compromised parent watching R-rated movies with sex, getting hooked on pornography, having all kinds of things going on in their private life and then hoping their children are gonna live pure and holy. It's not gonna happen. All right, so the radicalness Colleen and I said, we gotta get radical. So we started reading the Bible. We came across this scripture that gave us a path for radical behavior. And it's in Proverbs chapter four, verse 20. Here's what it says. Verse 20, listen carefully, my dear child, to everything that I teach you and pay attention to all that I have to say. This is written by Solomon, by the way. Solomon, at that time, was recognized as the wisest man in the earth but Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I'm not sure how wise that was, but <laughs> Solomon was writing from the perspective of a father to a son because he had, he had learned all things the wrong way. The strongest man in the Bible, Samson, the wisest man in the Bible, Solomon, and the greatest king in the Bible, David, were all taken down by sex, all of them. So don't you ever think you can't be taken down. Take heed lest you fall. There is no one that is completely exempt from this. He said, fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. He's talking to his son. Then as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into every, the very core of your being. So above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they will affect all that you are. Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. From there flows the wellspring of life. So what goes on in your heart is the key. Avoid dishonest speech and pretentious words. Be free from using perverse words no matter what. Set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose looking straight ahead. Ignore life's distractions. Watch where you're going. Stick to the path of truth and the road will be safe and smooth before you. Stick to the path of truth and the road will be smooth before you. Don't allow yourself to be sidetracked for even a moment or take the detour into the internet that leads to darkness. Y'all all right out there? The Lord spoke to us, and he says there's four areas that, are, that every human being has to get radical with if they're going to live pure before God. The first one is what you put in your mind, what you put in your mind. Whatever dominates your thoughts will dominate your life. Whatever dominates what goes on inside, the battlefield of every person is their mind. And if you can win that battle, you can have a life of freedom, you can have a life of purity. But if you don't, it can take you down. So obviously, what you put into your mind is important. He says, fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then as you unwrap my words, in other words, you get the revelation of them, they will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. Now, one of the common things I see with people who have sexual problems is they don't read the Bible very often. One of the signs that you're starting to fall away is you fall away from the word. You stop, putting the, you stop elevating the word in, as important to your life and you elevate other things, magazines, newspapers, television, entertainment. Defilement rides on the back of entertainment. And entertainment is designed many times to bring you slowly in and then entrap you. A lot of people go on, on, on Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok and innocently just trying to build relationships not knowing that there's hooks in there, constant hooks to hook your heart into something that's not good, into relational uh, problems or into pornography. Most pornography starts with kids on social media and then they get hooked on it. 
And once they get hooked on it, their, their minds are not mature enough to battle it and they, get, they succumb to it. And then they start to play it out, practice it out. I remember a few years, many years ago, over in Conyers, there was this big, big article in the paper about how all these middle school students, they'd gotten hooked on pornography and now they were going to each other's houses, practicing out what they were watching in pornography with each other. And it was an epidemic uh, with just hundreds of kids doing this. And the parents were just opening their houses and letting their kids be there by themselves. All right, so what you put in your mind. So Romans says it this way in chapter 12. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but God transforms you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In other words, the way you think has to be transformed. When you get born again, your spirit is born again, but your mind is not, and your body is not, and you've got to do something. That's why it says you have to work out your salvation daily with fear and trembling. You have to renew your mind. You have to put things in that do put that heal your mind, that wash your mind. When people say, well, you're just brainwashed, you're a brainwashed Christian, you better believe it. Washed with the blood of Jesus, with the purity of your word, I'll take that brainwashing all day long. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but I'll take a marriage of 40 years, a kid that's a virgin, marrying a virgin, has grandchildren with a good genetic spirit in them. I'll take a healthy financial life, a healthy physical life. I'll take all of that over whatever else you have to offer. I'll take all of that and be brainwashed all day long with the word of God. You see, people that say you're brainwashed are also brainwashed, but not with the word, with the world. There's a carnal mind, and then there's a spiritual mind. And he says, don't be carnal-minded, be spiritually-minded, because your carnal mind is an enmity with God. Secondly, you gotta, you gotta change what you say. He says in Proverbs 4, 24, avoid dishonest speech and pretentious words. Be free from using perverse words no matter what. When you listen to youth culture today, it feels like every third word has an F at the front of it. And it's just like a part of the daily lingo now. F in this and F in that and F in this and F in that. But that's not, that's not all that is to it. What most people don't realize is that the words that, that start them on this journey are words they believed. Words they believed that were dishonest. If you're in sin, it's because you believe a lie. You believe a lie and the lie becomes truth to you. And then what ends up happening is once you believe a lie, you become a liar. In order to cover sin, in order to keep it secret and in the dark, you can't tell the truth. So you get bound to this place where you think, if I tell the truth, I'll be embarrassed. I'll be ashamed. If people really knew what was going on in my life, then, I, then it's going to destroy my reputation. So they spend their whole life living with an image instead of with reality. They present an image on social media, present an image with their friends, when in secret, they're doing things that are harming them, destroying them, and who they're lying to the most, themselves. And if you can't tell the truth to yourself, you'll never tell the truth to other people. You cannot carry on adultery, you cannot carry on pornography without lying to somebody. And what happens, he's saying, you've got to get to this place where you're no longer accepting a lifestyle of covering up your stories with lies. You've got to speak truth to yourself, and, if, it, and if, in, if it's involving other people, to other people. You have to confess your sin to others so that you can be healed. Here's what the Bible it says. Confess your sins to another, and you'll be healed. What most people do, they'll confess their sins to God, and they get forgiven, but you get healed when you bring it into the light of people. Y'all all right out there? You get healed when you bring it out into the light of people. All right, so you have to change what you say, change what you think, and then you have to change what you look at. Proverbs 4.25 says, set your gaze on the path before you with fixed purpose, looking straight ahead, ignoring life's distractions. Have you ever gotten on this or the tablet in the morning and you have good intentions to read the word and a notification comes? You know, they did a, a, there's a, there's a, there's a, 
great program to watch on Netflix. I don't usually recommend all the programs on Netflix, but this one's good. It's called Social Dilemma. And it's put together by all these gurus that's, that were part of the foundation of Google, Facebook, all these different people. And they came to the conclusion that what these websites were doing were addicting people. You were getting addicted. And the way they got you addicted was through notifications. They'd send you notifications. And they get you to click. One thing you're starting on, but you click over to something else. And have you ever done this? Have you ever started? You click over to something else, and then you click over to something else, and you click over to something else, and you just keep... Next thing you know, you sat there for an hour looking at foolishness. Have you ever done that? <laughs> I've done it. I, I'm, I'm, I'll be the first, first person to admit I've done it. I'm like, that was a foolish thing to do. Just looking at all these stupid things. Not, not necessarily sexual sin, just stupid things. Come on, somebody. It's like people create websites of total foolishness and stupidity, and they make millions of dollars off of it. And so, so he's saying, you've got to keep your eye focused. What you put before your eye, here's what Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, if what you're putting before your eyes is unhealthy, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? There is no end to darkness. In other words, it just keeps getting darker. Once you get into one thing, it leads to another, it leads to another, and the next thing you know, you're just completely consumed with it. That's why this thing becomes, these, these, these creators of all these platforms, they, they discovered this, and they're trying to warn people about the addiction of social media, and then what they asked them, they said, you have children, do your children do this? They said, we don't even let our children near social media. These are the creators of social media. We don't even let our children near it because it's too addictive. Turn off all notifications, all these kind of things. We only use it for business purposes because it is addictive. And here's the sad thing. When you say to something that's addictive to somebody who's addicted, you have to make a decision about that. Are you going to stay addicted? Are you going to stay addicted to video games? Are you going to stay addicted to pornography? Are you going to stay addicted? You've got to change what you put before your eyes. And then finally... And by the way, we have, we have a guideline. We don't watch anything on TV or movies that has any kind of sexual thing on it. If it's, even if it's not showing physically like people getting naked, which by the way, in natural television, regular television now, people get naked. I mean, it's not common to just flip through, whoa, whoa, that's just regular television, much less an R-rated movie. And you say, well, that's just, you know, that's just so strict. You better believe it, it's strict. We made a decision when we got married. We're not watching R-rated movies. We're not watching anything that has sex in it. Anything that has sex in it, we gotta turn the channel. We gotta turn the channel. We're not watching anything our kid can't watch and can handle. The Bible says, if you wanna understand the kingdom of God, you gotta become like a little child. So we don't watch R-rated movies. We don't watch movies that, when I say R-rated, I mean things that are sexual in nature. We don't watch movies that are sexual in nature, even if they're PG or PG-13, if they have sexual situations. And you can't even hardly watch a program today without sexual situations in it. Hardly anything. I mean, have you ever found yourself on Netflix? I can't find a movie to watch. You have to go revert back to boring Hallmark or something like that. It's like, come on, give me something. (laughs) <laughs> when you find something, it's like finding gold, isn't it? A clean movie that has a good message. You find, oh, that's, uh, I'm just going to watch it a hundred times because I got nothing else to watch. <laughs> and then finally, you got to change where you go. Where you go. Where you go with your eyes, where you go with your, your heart, where you go with your time, where you go with your physical body. We made a decision on this. He says, watch where you're going. Stick to the path of truth and the road will be safe and smooth before you. Don't allow yourselves to be sidetracked for even a moment or take the detour that leads to darkness. When Colleen and I were dating, we just made a decision. We can't put ourselves in a lone position in our apartments by ourselves because I know we could revert back to sexual behavior. We just can't do it. We can't do it. If we do that, we're going to go right back into our old lifestyles. So we made a decision. You know, if we're going to be out, we're going to be with groups of people or we're going to be in public places. I remember the first date we had in Richmond, Virginia, as we started dating, we went to a bar before we knew all this and we're sitting in the bar and it's just darkness. You ever been in a bar where all the lights are on? It's a nasty place when all the lights are on. That's why they have it in darkness. 
it's a, it's a, it's a grimy place. Have you ever seen a bar with the lights on? Go, go, go in there someday. If you work in a bar, you know what I'm talking about. It's nasty, all kinds of germs, and yet we're wearing masks just being outside some days. And then we walk in a bar and we think nothing of it. You, we were in this bar and it wasn't, there wasn't anything really bad happening. It was just the music was blaring, people were drinking, getting drunk. And, and I looked at Colleen and I said, this is our old life. This is our old life. We can't put ourselves in a situation that constantly reminds us of our old life. We've gotta separate, holiness is separate yourself from your old life and create a whole new life. So we, instead of going to bars, listen to this, we started going out street witnessing with our church. On Friday and Saturday nights, we started going out talking to homeless people and street people and witnessing to them, and that's how we started in ministry. And we realized we get a whole lot more enjoyment. It's a lot more entertaining, actually. You wouldn't believe what you see out there on the streets. It's crazy. And they get drunk, they're a whole lot easier to lead to the Lord than these sober people. I'll just tell you that right now. Come on, you can receive Jesus. Yeah, okay. They, they receive Christ, no problem. <laughs> I see kids, all young people, well, there's just nothing to do. Christian's boring. Well, the only reason Christian, Christianity's boring is because you're not doing anything for the Lord. You're waiting for somebody to entertain you in the church instead of going out and being a Christian in this world. Y'all all right out there? We got busy for the Lord. We never had any, we never complained about our church. We don't have young adult ministry. We don't do this. We didn't depend on church for that. We depended on church to feed us on Sunday and tell us what to do in the rest of the week, to go out and be Christians in the world. When you get busy for Christ, you don't have time to sin. You don't have time to get stuck on pornography. You don't have time to be hiding in darkness. You're out there in the light. And he says, let your light shine. Let, it, let you have the flavor of God and the color of God on a daily basis. Now, what happens is once you start to operate in these procedures of radicalness, that's in essence cutting out your eye, cutting off your hand. Hyperbole, but it's really that's what you're doing. You're getting radical for God. And what we did in the, in the location, once, we, once this app came out on the phone, we put it on our phone. I highly recommend it. It's called Life360. Life360, and if you don't know what that is, is, it's an app you put on your phone. How, how many of you in here have Life360? Let me see. Life360 is you put your, it's an accountability app that you put on your phone that lets someone else, and if you're married, it's your marriage partner, know where you are. Know where you are. If you have some suspicions that something's going on, put Life360 on the phone. <laughs> If they won't put it on the phone, you already know the answer. You already know the answer. Well, we don't need that kind of accountability. Oh, really? I know where my wife is all the time. If I pull it up right now, she's back in the back room because it's too cold on the front row here, and she's watching us on screen. She's here. She's here today. She's not off secretly doing something, but sometimes she'll be off in the mall, and I'm, where's my wife? And I pull it up there. She's in, she's over here. Let's see. She's in Macy's, Okay. All right, and I'll text her, what you doing? What you doing? Where are you? We'll see if she's gonna tell me the truth. Uh, I'm in Macy's. What are you doing in Macy's? We don't need anything in Macy's. We didn't lose anything there. Well, where are you? Well, look on 360, you'll see. Oh, you're at the golf course. Oh, you're all playing golf again. Well, if you can play, spend money on golf, then I can spend money on clothes. That's what she said. 360 keeps account. You always do better when people are watching. And we all need that kind of accountability in our life. It's, it's, really, it's really a good thing. If I said to you today, I'm coming over to your house. I'm coming over to your house. I want to see your house. You're going to say, give me about 30 minutes. <laughs> Don't come right now. And you start picking stuff up and throwing stuff around because you want my, your house to be presentable, right? If I, if I just go out I just, after service, I want to just see your car. Let me just look inside your car. Well, just give me about 15 minutes. McDonald's, Burger King, Subway, Coca-Cola, clothes that have been in there for five years. You haven't even looked in your back seat in the last five years. You don't know what's growing back there. <laughs> clean that thing out because you got somebody looking at you. 
I was sitting at home. Now, I'll close with this. I was sitting at home. This is a true story. I came back from Florida. I was down there for, my, for a while, just doing some praying and doing some work down there. I came back, and I couldn't get in my house. The person that was watching my house took the key, locked the key between the garage and the main door, and I, could, I don't have a key to my house. I just go through the garage. So I had to wait for them to come back with the key. So I'm sitting there. I went, I went and got some food, and I went to McDonald's. I hadn't eaten McDonald's in quite a while, and I got a Big Mac, French fries, and a Diet Coke. <laughs> and I'm sitting there on my back deck, just sitting there on my back deck, uh, in the table outside, eating my food, and I hear God speak in the form of my wife's voice. <laughs> I see you, honey, what you doing there? And I realize there's a camera. I have a camera on the back of my house that alerts her if there's any burglars around. And she just happened to pop it on and see me sitting there with my Big Mac. She said, oh, I'm just getting something to eat. She said, what you eating? <laughs> well, you can see what I'm eating. <laughs> she said, just remember, there's always somebody watching. <laughs> you know who's always watching? God. All the time. He sees everything. He lives inside of you. He sees everything. What if we live like he was our life 360? That he, knew what, he knows what we're doing. He knows everywhere we go. He knows every place we, we, we interact with people. He knows if we're doing something wrong or we're doing something right. Now, the reality is this, and this is just the truth. There are many of us in this room, we believe in Jesus, but this sexual thing, it's messing us up. And it doesn't mean that we're just going out and doing crazy things like other people, but some of us have pornography issues. Some of us have just fantasy issues. Some of us are not being sexually pure as a single adult. Some of us are having adulterous affairs. I mean, that's what's in this room right now. And the question is not whether it's in the room. The question is, what are you going to do about it? That's the question. So I want you to take a moment and I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about what I just said. Because this is a serious moment. This, this, I know there's a lot of, every, every weekend it's important, every weekend serious, but this is a serious, this is, this is a life changer right here. And if you can address it with God, if you can allow yourself to just for a moment listen to God, just listen to what God's saying to you about this. If you could just for a moment understand that he's not looking for you to make some sacrifice. What he's looking for is a broken and contrite heart before him. He says with this, he can work. He can work with you with this. And here's what I know about God. When we're not living right with God and we come in contact with the truth and the spirit of God, it brings conviction. It brings conviction to our hearts. We can't just keep ignoring the fact that this is not what God wants. You may be here today and some things are going wrong in this area of your life and you say, I need, I need to repent, truly repent, and I need to get my life consecrated before God starting today. If that's you, all I want you to do is just lift your hand right all across this building and just say, that's, that's me, God. I just need to get my life right with God. Just lift it up. Lift it up high. See lots of hands. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want everybody in the room to stand up. Just stand up for a moment. And we're gonna, we're gonna do something, and I know we're way over time and the one o'clock crowd's gonna be really mad at us. We're going to do something because I feel like there's sometimes, just every once in a while, God says to me, you just have to take a little time with this and just make people mad. This is important. Whether you lifted your hand or you didn't lift your hand, what I've noticed about our relationship with God is sometimes you just have to break, you have to break spiritual control off your life. And part of breaking spiritual control off your life is coming into the light. 
no longer staying in the darkness, just coming into the light, whether it's sexual sin or just any sin. I'm a liar. I have different issues in my life. I'm just not really doing the right thing. And God wants to meet you and heal you and deliver you. And today, you could leave here with a life starting with freedom. But it's really up to you. And the question you have to answer is, am I gonna, am I gonna be afraid to do things in front of people because I'm embarrassed or because I don't want this person next to me to think something about me or maybe you're living together and it's gonna, it's, it has the possibility of changing all of that. There's just a lot of things that can happen in the dynamics when you come to God. But sometimes God will say this to me. It's just every once in a while, and this is one of those weekends, that it's not enough to just lift your hand. At some point, you gotta break free and you gotta come out from where you are and who you are and where you've been and you gotta come up to this altar into a new place with God and leave that person behind. So, if you're here today with everybody looking around and everybody looking and you say, that's me, God, I, need, I just need to get my life right with God. Last service, the altars were filled. I expect the same thing to happen in this service. I want you to quickly Get out of your seat, wherever you are. If you're in the middle of the aisle and just say, excuse me, I'm coming down to this altar and I'm surrendering my life totally and completely, including my body, to Jesus Christ. If that's you, come now. Come now and let's give these folks a hand clap as they come because I believe God wants a lot of people to start coming down to this altar. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Come on. There's a lot of folks. There's plenty of room down here. <laughs> We're going for freedom today. We're going for freedom today. Some of you that are still up there need to be coming down here. This is your day. You don't need to be staying up there. This is your place to break free. And once you get down here, just close your eyes and get before the Lord. As people continue to come, listen, I just want to say this. I, here's what I know about every service. This is the way it is. Whenever people come and fill an altar, there's always more that need to come. There's always people that are out there, and here's what I'm saying, I'm not saying this to embarrass you, there's always people that are just like, I don't know. If you don't know, come. That means that there's something you need to change, address with God. And here's what I know, you, you, you know you want freedom, you know you need it, and this is the starting point. It's not the ending point, but this is where you start, listen to me, a whole new life. This is a whole new life. There you go. Come on. Come on. You got it. This is your new life. This is your new life. Don't stay back there if you need to come down here. This is a life that God has for you. Oh, God. Let's close our eyes right now. Just lift our hands and let's all say this together and pray with the people that are here at the front as they come. Let's say this, Jesus, Jesus. Right, now, right now, right here, right here. I, repent I repent of my sins. Before all the people, all the people I, acknowledge, I acknowledge I need you, God, need you. Desperately, desperately in my life. In my life. I, renounce I renounce sin. I renounce anything in my life that goes against your word, goes against your will, and I put it at the altar right now, and I die to it. Today is a new day for me. I believe in you, Jesus. You're not just my Savior. You are my Lord. And all of my life, I surrender to you. My body, my mind, my spirit belongs to you. And from this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Come on. Let's give him praise. Worship you. Worship you.